Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Weekly Roundup with Reiki. This is episode 35, and we are going to jump right into our project updates. So as you remember, last week we had a ton of things happening, a ton of updates. Um, as you know, our founders are always, always extremely... Um, responsive and extremely proactive in terms of keeping the community up to date. Um, so what has happened is where we are right now is the Chamber of Commerce has, it's a very rigid body. So which is a good thing. You want those bodies to be rigid and they, you want them to scrutinize everything. So one of the things that we're waiting on is for them to verify everything and for us to be able to successfully register the company. And so one of the challenges with that is the requirement for uh, the Chamber of Commerce for registering the company is for the associates involved in the company, um, mainly the founders, so Alex and Antonio both, um, they are required to have the correct Swiss permit in order to go through with the process. So Alex, I believe, is a Swiss citizen, and Antonio um, is, I believe, um, he has received the permit. Uh, well, he's working on the last steps of the permit, which is the DNA test and getting the photo done. So he should have that pretty anytime soon at this point. So whenever he receives that, he will be able to forward that information to the chamber and we will be unblocked on uh, waiting for the chamber. So uh, we're, we're behind by a week on that. But again, that is government stuff. You always have to plan. That is why Alex Antonio worked so diligently ahead of schedule because things like this always happen. You'd never know what the government is going to look for. So you just learn and grow from it. So basically nothing crazy. This was already under process. The permit was on under process. So uh, kudos to Alex Antonio for their proactivity and always uh, having a plan in place. So once that that's good to go, they'll have that. Um, well, they'll have the information out there for the chamber and we'll have the company registered. Um, another exciting piece of news is Alex Antonio are working on providing a detailed update. I know I give you guys updates on a weekly basis on the project, but it will be even better to hear it straight from the, our founders. So uh, very appreciative that they're taking out this time uh, because I was actually chatting with them and they mentioned that they really want to sit down with the, with the Leon family and do a town hall because it has been a while. And there's so much happening on the TCFX side of things and regulatory side of things um, that it is important for them to sit down with the Leon family, answer some questions, give them detailed updates on what's happening with the project. So the things they're going to get into, the highlights, well, the main topics that I can tell you, they're going to talk about SROs, which is self-regulated organization. Um, it's it's like it's a license um, that we're trying to get, which I've already shared. Uh, no auction letter uh, that we'll be sending to FINMA. Um, then we're going to talk about the TCFX legal framework, uh, the associate pact, AML policy, AML officers. So all those details around uh, the financial requirements uh, on the legal side. Then on the operation side, um, tested for you, uh, meeting with them, then how the meeting with Michelle Kanazinski went. 
Um, and then the TCFX documentation, a um, bunch of things that get into that, like um, marketing slide deck, uh, pitch deck, all, all that all that stuff. Um, and some general updates um, related to MetaLeon Society itself, the project, and uh, where the founders are right now, their personal and professional situation. So I think this will be a very important uh, town hall. You know every town hall is important with our founders. So whenever you see the announcements come out for that, make sure that you are available for it or you're able to at least um, reach out to either me or Reed or Jenny um, and, and share your questions or even just open up a ticket if you're not going to be able to present be present for the round uh, for the um, for the town hall make sure you get your questions in because um, we love questions you know the founders love questions and that's the only way you can stay up to date with uh, the project and everything so um, just a reminder for that and those are all the updates I had for the project side this week. And I, again, reminder, once we're through this uh, aspect of getting the company registered, which shouldn't take too long from here, uh, once uh, the documents from Antonio reach the chamber, um, we'll have a lot more updates, as you, uh, as you know. So very excited about that. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, market updates because I have a lot of good news today. And... And it's funny because we're so used to bad news. And that's what I remind everybody. When when there's too much bad news, if you can't handle it, just leave. Like, don't don't look at social media. Don't look at the news. Don't, don't go to YouTube. Or, like, everybody tries to engagement farm. And what engagement farming is, like, YouTubers or social media content creators, most of them don't care about how you're feeling it's more about them getting the views so if if the news is bad they're going to make it sound worse and if the news is good they're going to make it sound even better so it's like there's no balance or a reality check is sometimes important and that's why i do these weekly roundups because i give you the bad news as is i don't i don't sugarcoat it i don't make it sound worse it is something you should be aware about and if you don't like it then it's fine you you can ignore it uh but we have been attacked as an industry on a global level. But I'm really optimistic as I'm starting to see the narrative shift a little bit and some of these, these lies are starting to fall apart from these regulators. And, and I think you're going to enjoy today's updates because, again, I've broken it up into some major headlines. We're going to start with policy updates. Then we're going to go to CBDC updates, which is central bank digital currencies. Um, and then we're going to finish, uh, well, before we finish off, we're going to go into technology updates. And then we're going to finish off with adoption updates. So those are the highlights, the categories. And we're going to jump into our policy updates first. And specifically, I'm going to start off with U.S. policies because, again, U.S. is the biggest market in the world. And what U.S. does is important. Even though crypto is a global market, but what U.S. does is always going to be important. Um, so as you know, I've been covering what the House Financial Committee and uh, I think the Agricultural Committee, um, they've been working independently on working towards some regulations or filling the gaps that are there in the current regulatory framework to adopt digital assets and make the environment conducive for innovation and at the same time still protect consumers from frauds. Um, so a huge, huge, huge update just landed. Um, the House, uh, the Financial Service Committee and the, uh, and the House Committee on Agriculture 
they had a joint uh, meeting and that is a historic thing that barely ever happens in Congress. Like that is something that never happens unless it's like an emergency situation. So I'm really loving that Patrick McCandry, who, uh, who is the chair for the financial service committee, he, uh, in consensus, which is the largest conference, uh, which ended like last week sometime, he was on the stage with uh, Cynthia Lummis, who uh, is senator from Wyoming. She's very pro-crypto too. I think she's a Bitcoin maximalist, but it doesn't matter. She, she's pro-Bitcoin, pro so that means like she, she likes decentralization. So uh, long story short, uh, Patrick McHenry mentioned in, on the stage that he is going to have a bill ready with with the house uh committee ready to go within two months so when politicians say two months i'm going to take it for a grain of salt but he he really seems very very desperate to get this done because i think the urgency is getting to congress that sec is overreaching and they've forgotten their oath to the people and they've forgotten their job uh their responsibility especially gary gensler like he's been acting like a politician and less like a regulator so I think the Congress is catching up to it, both on the Democrats and Republican side, uh, which is a good thing. So this joint committee, um, it was about an hour long uh, hearing. So I will be listening to it um, while I'm on the road and I will try to give my updates. I'll probably also post the link to this hearing, uh, which concluded like a couple hours ago. Um, I'll post the link in our crypto discord channel in our um in our server um and you guys can watch it too if you're curious if not then you can wait for like my take on it i'll probably cover a little bit of it next week uh but i'm excited to listen to it because it seems like both committees did their individual hearings and now they're coming together to um to finalize like what needs to really happen to make sure that the innovation stays in the u.s and we don't offshore to other countries so very excited uh, historic moment. So we should be very proud and excited to be in this industry. I think things are falling in place. Finally, I don't want to jinx it, but, um, things are looking good there. Um, so kudos to us regulators to, f uh, for, oh, well, not regulators, Congress for finally waking up and seeing that they need to step in to fill in the gaps. Um, now we're going to go to Africa, uh, and specifically we're going to go to Nigeria. So, in Nigeria, as you know, we've been covering Nigeria from the central bank digital currency perspective and how dystopian all of that sounded with the cash limits they're putting on ATMs and forcing people to adopt the CBDC and people aren't even adopting it. So it's like it was a whole whirlwind and I was very negative about Nigeria and for the right reasons. Uh, but something good, uh, well, good or bad, we don't know it yet, but it's a, it's a step. Any regulation is a step in a in the right direction because it legitimizes the industry. Um, so Nigeria has approved a national blockchain policy, which the government has come up with. And this is set to lay the foundation for the development of a digital economy, which is going to be powered by blockchain technology. Um, so when, when they talk about blockchain technology, specifically, it doesn't mean cryptocurrencies. It could honestly mean a, a CBDC running on a public blockchain still being controlled by the government. So we don't know it yet, but it sounds like from the wording of how they phrase things in, in the policy, it looks like they're focusing on the technology 
itself and how blockchain can be used to digitize the economy and um, just just make day-to-day living for the average Nigerian more efficient and, and more inclusive for banking and everything. So hopefully this helps them. I, I think it's a step in a good in a positive direction. We'll see what kind of programs come out of this uh, policy and how it's adopted by government and private organizations uh, together. So um, exciting news there. Uh, now we're going to move on to the central bank digital currency news. So exciting news coming out of Canada. Exciting and weird. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say weird. Um, so Bank of Canada has launched a consultation with the citizens of the country. And it's seeking inputs on different things. So it's seeking inputs on the front of what features the average Canadian would like to see in a central bank digital currency. And um, that's the exciting part. The weird part is they're collecting a ton of demographic information, which is very specific. So I grin a little bit and cringe a little bit when that happens because they say that it's important for data collection, for representation, and for making better decisions. I just, whenever a government agent just tries to collect a ton of like racial slash like economic slash zonal data on people under the guise of anything, it just, I don't know, not a big fan of it. So hopefully, um, seems like Canada is changing its tune on CBDCs because until last month, as I remember, um, Canada was still pretty anti-CBDC, which is a good idea, in my opinion, uh, because we don't know what the government can use the CBDC for. It could be good or bad. And most times, if you give government an opportunity to have more control over its people, it will go in that direction. It's just how governments function. So um, hopefully, this turns out to be something good. And they do mention that they prioritize privacy everybody's been saying that Nigeria was talking about it too, but here we are. So I just take this as a word of these words as like a grain of salt. So we'll see how this goes. This consultation period is supposed to go for about three to six months, I think. And then after that, they're planning on starting some pilot programs, I believe, but uh, it's the early, even it's even like early stages, even before the pilot. So we'll see how all of that goes. Um, now we're going to jump over to Asia because China's just been going crazy with its CBDC adoption. And I've been covering it. If you haven't been listening, go back and listen to my past few weekly roundups. Uh, the digital yuan is gaining a ton of traction in all different industries across China and different provinces and different cities across the country. So I have some more updates on adoption of the digital yuan. So the digital, digital yuan has entered the world of education and transportation. So uh, starting off with edu education, uh, Jiangsu, Jiangsu province uh, has started to allow its students to pay their educational fees uh, in the digital yuan through a platform that they say is going to be ready before the end of the year. So if you go to college, in that in that province, you will be able to pay your college fees with the digital yuan. If you are someone that is supposed to receive a grant or a scholarship, it will also be paid out in the digital yuan and any other fees related to your education, like buying books, I believe, like anything you can think about is probably going to be on the digital yuan in that province. 
Uh, now we're going to talk about transportation. So this is a different city than the last one. So this is going to be a Jiang, Jiangmen in southern China. And this place is going to allow its people to pay for public transit, specifically the bus service uh, with the digital yuan. And I think the system is live. It's in the in a smaller pilot program right now, but they're going to be opening it up to the entire city in the coming months. So uh, very exciting news for the digital yuan. Again, if people are adopting it, they're using it. It's it's I guess it's the market decides what they want. I it's a different mindset to live in China, in my opinion. I haven't been there. Uh, so the people already know that they're getting surveillance and everything. So it's probably they're okay with financial surveillance as well. Who knows? We don't know what the government's doing with that data yet because the digital yuan is still in its pilot stage, even though it's the fastest growing pilot that I can track right now in any country. So um, it's touching most important sectors. The only sector that I haven't seen the digital yuan touch so far, I think, is the Medicare um, in the medical sector. So we'll, we'll probably see that come in as well. Um, the next and the last piece of CBDC news, well, it's technically not a CBDC, but it's also a CBDC. It's like a hybrid. Uh, so the government of Zimbabwe has proposed a plan of having a gold-backed digital token. And um, the central bank has finally set a price for the gold-backed digital token. And um, it's going to start offering this gold-backed digital currency to investors starting of, uh, from May 8th. So it's already been happening for a few days. Um, the token will be sold at a minimum price of $10 for individuals and $5,000 for corporations. So it's basically to retail investors and big corporations. And um, other entities, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe has announced that it also plans to introduce a, um, a bill. Um, there's going to be a bill that's going to be introduced where it's going to legalize this gold-backed digital currency as a legal tender in the country. And I think the bill currently is under like the final final proposal phases, and then it, it has to go through their parliamentary procedures. So my personal quick two-second take on this, the only problem with a gold-backed digital currency is Sure, you can back it up with gold, but who's checking the gold reserves in Zimbabwe? Like, who's who's the auditing company? And do we know if the auditing company is independent or not, if it's paid by the government, or they're lying about the reserves and they're printing, like, this this token? It's, it's the same problem that got Zimbabwe to the point of hyperinflation. They can now do it digitally, so it just they're more incentivized to do it digitally than they were printing physical notes. So my only worry is going to be, I want to see how they're planning on checking these reserves and doing it in, in a recency basis, like quarterly, maybe like half a year or something like that. Like find a way to even automate that service as well. Like I'll put it on the blockchain somehow, like supply chains use blockchain technology to check uh, how the goods are moving through the supply chain. So why can't they do it with gold? So I'd like to see that. Until then, I'm going to take this as a grain of salt. Good good progress by the government to find a solution to get out of hyperinflation, but it needs to work. The only 
loophole is the reserve. So we'll see how that goes. Um, quick technology update. Uh, everybody has been very hyped up about ordinals and on Bitcoin and everything. So what, what people are not talking about is what I'm going to share right now. So um, those of you that don't know what ordinals are, so Bitcoin had a upgrade called the Taproot upgrade, which allowed people to inscribe code into a transaction. So you could package code like software code and put it in a Bitcoin transaction and it's going to execute. So um, it's like a hacky way to do smart contracts. Um, when they upgraded Taproot, they did not know that Taproot could open up a can of worms that they didn't understand, uh, which is kind of weird because Bitcoin is one of the slowest moving in terms of technology updates. And it's a good thing. I think it's a feature rather than a bug because you want Bitcoin to be stable. You want Bitcoin to be a store of value and be a global monetary system. And you don't want to mess around with it too much. Ethereum keeps doing upgrades because it's not really a, a store of value or anything. It's it's a public utility. Like you want your public utility to uh, to be upgraded and stay up to date and, and support a variety of uh, things. So it's more like a Swiss knife. Uh, Swiss Army knife. So I, I think what's happening with ordinals right now is people have been inscribing tokens. They've been issuing tokens on Bitcoin with the BRC20 standard. And what, what it's doing is this meme coin mania that's going on in Ethereum has overflowed into Bitcoin and it's chugging up the network. It's clogging it up. It's slowing down normal transactions of me sending Bitcoin to you is now taking way more money than it ever did. Miners are making way more money than they ever did. It sounds good on paper that, oh yeah, the network activity is booming and everything, but it's coming at a cost of, it's coming at the cost of ac actual utility of the network. If the network is unusable, it actually rendered Bitcoin like, it almost felt like Bitcoin stopped, but network didn't stop. It's just the transactions wouldn't go through because that's how clogged the network was. So it's not a good look for Bitcoin when you want family offices to be adopting, governments to be adopting Bitcoin. Uh, so there's two schools of thought that are um, that are coming up because of this. So one school of thought is pro-ordinals and pro-BRC20 uh, people in the Bitcoin community, like Michael Saylor. So Michael Saylor is considered a god by the Bitcoin maximalists. And he came out, people assume that he's gonna come out and blast these ordinals because he believes in the purity of Bitcoin is what he calls it. I don't know what he calls it, but I don't wanna put words in his mouth. He's always been a proponent of let Bitcoin be what it is. Don't make it, an, don't make it a, a, a shit coin. He calls everything except Bitcoin a shit coin. Um, and that's the definition of a maximalist. But I don't, I take his word as a grain of salt. He's a smart dude, but he doesn't know everything, just like every other smart person. So he actually came out on the other side. He came out and said, ordinals and BRC20 tokens on, on Bitcoin and NFTs on Bitcoin, these are actually great for its adoption. Like it's going to bring in more and more people. There's technical limitations to Bitcoin right now, but they're being solved as we speak. So Lightning Network is being uh, globally adopted. I know Binance has announced that it's going to allow Lightning to integrate into its exchange. I know Coinbase has ex expressed that they, I, I think it's already integrated Lightning. I can't remember. Uh, but there were talks that they were also going to integrate Lightning. So Lightning is a network 
uh, is a network uh, upgrade on, it's not really an upgrade, but it's like a way of sending transactions for cheaper uh, through Bitcoin and faster. Uh, you can equal, equate it to like layer twos, like uh, Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism on top of Ethereum layer twos. So same thing with Bitcoin, it has lightning to extend its utility and make it faster. So uh, he, I, I like what he's saying because it, it makes him sound more human and less maximalist in my opinion, because it's good for adoption. I also agree with that mindset that you shouldn't just block any code because it's making something slow. You should think about how to integrate more features and still have functionality. So I, I think it's a good idea. Uh, there's another school of thought where some of the core developers of Bitcoin are considering Taproot as a bug. And they're proposing that without a consensus, like how upgrades happen on Bitcoin is a majority of all the miners have to agree and support the upgrade. And then that happens. So Taproot was proposed like three years ago, but it took like three years for it to get approved. That's how long some of the proposals can take. So some of the core devs are saying that this is a bug. This shouldn't have happened. This this is all crap. This is all junk. We need to remove these NFTs and ordinals and, and these tokens from Bitcoin and bring it back to what it was. And there's a lot of pushback happening. So a lot of conversations happening around those points. Uh, I think there'll be a resolution of the direction in the coming months. So I'll keep an eye on that. Either way, Bitcoin's going to keep working. It's just minor things like this always happen. Like I remember CryptoKitties, the first NFT project that came out on Ethereum, literally one project clogged Ethereum for like months. So this, this, and look at where the Ethereum is uh, today. It's such a vibrant um, ecosystem with layer one solutions and layer twos getting billions and dollars of transactions and uh, value being stored. So I'm not worried about this. I'm actually excited. Um, so the last piece and, uh, last section that I wanted to talk about was adoption news. And I told you everything today is bullish and I'm really excited. Um, one of uh, the only bad news here, I guess, for adoption is so Argentina right now is going through hyperinflation. Uh, their banks ran out of money. So they went to the IMF. And if you don't know the IMF, IMF is basically, again, I don't have any filters. I'm going to go ahead and say it. IMF is basically the mafia that gets to wear the suits and get to look all professional. Um, they basically are drug dealers that get you hooked on loans, and then they basically drain your economy. So the IMF, this is what they did. Uh, when Argentina went to the IMF asking for a bailout, and the IMF was like, here's $44 billion, but before you sign that, we need you to sign all these conditions. And one of the conditions was they can never have Bitcoin as a legal tender in their country. And if you know what, where they're coming from with this is El Salvador, because El Salvador ignored IMF and they said, we don't want your dirty money. We're just going to make Bitcoin um, a legal tender. And look where El Salvador is today. They have bonds issued on Bitcoin. They have tourism has gone up like crazy their economy is stabilizing and again this should be this should have been a sign for argentina to say okay we're going to bite we're going to bite this short term pain at bitcoin illegal tender and we're going to recover our economy without needing the imf but i guess argentina was desperate so they signed that deal 
And as part of that deal, what's happening now is they passed a law that has halted all crypto payments, uh, has halted crypto use on any payment apps, including banks. So no crypto in Argentina. Um, there's always going to be crypto in Argentina. There's always going to be a market, but it's just the government is doing its best to live up to the needs of the IMF and meet the requirements because I don't know if there's a clawback thing where IMF can take the money back, but that was the deal. No crypto if you want our money. And that's why I said IMF is a mafia because um, they don't want you to be independent. They want you to be dependent on them. So they keep giving you loans and keep charging you interest and they know you'll never be able to pay it back. So you'll just always owe your life to them. So it's just shady in my opinion. So next up is actually good news. So Grayscale, which is currently suing the SEC for a spot ETF that they have denied six times. They're working on three new crypto ETFs, and that is extremely bullish news because if, if they weren't confident that they were going to win this lawsuit, which I think could take six to seven months or maybe a year, who knows? But from the first hearing that I listened to, um, the judges just destroyed the SEC. Like they were yelling at them like high school kids get yelled at for smoking pot under the bridge um, because their, their arguments make no sense. So... Uh, Grayscale is working on three new crypto ETFs. So ETFs are exchange-traded funds, and those are extremely important for adoption. So people don't buy individual stocks anymore. They buy ETFs because they give them exposure to an industry. Let's say uh, you want some DeFi exposure. So you're not just going to go buy. Not everybody's smart enough to go buy Uni, Uniswap token, uh, uh, Sushi token, or One Inch token. You're going to go buy an ETF that's out there that tracks like 30 top DeFi tokens in the crypto industry across chains. So you buy one of their shares and that gives you access to all the 30 tokens. So it diversifies you. It keeps you from uh, worrying about one exchange going down DeFi exchange. So it's, it's a good thing. So the three new funds and they are, uh, there's going to be an Ethereum future ETF. There's going to be a global Bitcoin composite ETF. And then there's going to be a privacy ETF. So they're covering three different uh, things. Uh, first two are specific to tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum. The third one is seems like a basket of tokens. So if you believe in privacy, so I think Monero is going to be part of it. And Zcash is probably going to be part of it. Uh, Dash is probably going to be part of it. But Dash just got sued by SEC. So um, I mean, who knows? So we'll see. Uh, good news on Grayscale's part that they're staying on the offensive, coming out with new products and moving along. Um, I love when the scare tactics of regulators just don't work on people anymore. They're just like, fuck it. We're just going to do what we want to do. And I love that attitude because that's the way prog progress works. Because if you wait for the regulations, you're never going to disrupt anything because the last people that have control, which is the current banking system that is falling apart as we talk, um, they, they have the most control. They control the politicians. They control the lobbies. They control the law. So um, you just would never be able to do anything. So until you go out of the system and build something and then come ask for forgiveness, that's how the internet was born. And that's how most of the technologies are born. So, um, this is, this is great stuff. I'm excited. Um, the next piece of news is coming from Liechtenstein. Uh, 
Liechtenstein. I always can never pronounce it. So the prime minister of the country has um, shared with its media group, well, the media, that a payment option for government officials to accept their salaries in Bitcoin is coming very soon. So Liechtenstein is has always been very pro crypto. It is one of the most crypto friendly banks and a lot of rich crypto people just love to be there. Uh, so this is great. They're going all in at this point. Even government officials can accept their salaries in Bitcoin. So that shows you the long term belief that they have in this. The next piece of news is coming from the US. So Stripe, which is a fintech company and has been around for a while, a huge fintech company, um, they are going absolutely headfirst into crypto. So they have launched a fiat crypto payment system that is going to allow both individuals and companies to access cryptocurrencies easily. So I think Stripes has millions of users and Having this platform only makes adoption easier because when you have this service being provided by this company that has proven over a period of time, it knows what it's doing. Um, this is great. So even people and companies, if they want to offer or use cryptocurrencies, they can easily have fiat on and off ramps. And this is great right in the middle of this uh, choke point 2.0 where um, government agencies are um unconstitutionally trying to uh limit banking access to crypto industry um this this is a good uh, adoption of related news coming out of the us um where is the next update so goldman sachs has done a report with family offices and family offices are basically uh these rich uh, like the 1% people that invest money uh, for big families. So if you're like the Rothschild family or you're like the, the Buffett Foundation, you often have a family office, like a, a financial company you hire that you deeply trust with your money. So billions of dollars, we're talking billions of dollars. So Goldman Sachs has reportedly done a survey with those family offices and to my surprise, the number is extremely high. 32% uh, of family offices have confirmed that they are investing in digital assets. So um, I think this number has come up from, I, I believe, 16% as of last year, or I think it was 16% in 2021. Uh, so just under two years, uh, this is an incredible growth. And I think the number is going to keep going up as we see regulation come into place and we see more clarity. Uh, because the biggest problem that family offices have is they have limited risk appetite. So they can never go above like 0 0.1, 0 0.5 in risk assets. Uh, again, I don't know the numbers. Don't quote me on this. It's just how they work. They're supposed to preserve the family wealth, right, across generations. So they just can't go all in on Bitcoin and be like, oh, cool, now we're going to 10x our money. They already have money. They are in the stage where they want to preserve their money against inflation. So it'll be good when Bitcoin has the regulation because they never touch anything unregulated. So um, once we have these this clarity in the U.S., this will be incredible for the amount of money that's going to flow in the industry. Uh, the next piece is coming from Deloitte, which is one of the big four accounting firms. And 
what De what Deloitte is doing is it's integrating with Kilt protocol. Uh, Kilt is a parachain on Polkadot. So not going to give you a rundown on what parachains are and what Polkadot is. Polkadot is basically uh, Gavin Belson, I think his name. Oh, I can't remember. G G Wait, wasn't Gary Bel Belson like the guy in, uh, in a TV show? Uh, Silicon Valley? Whatever. Uh, Gavin something. I can't remember his last name. But he was one of the co-founders of Ethereum with Vitalik and uh, Charles Hoskinson, who ended up founding Cardano. So he is one of the founders of Ethereum. He actually wrote Solidity, like he wrote most of the code for Ethereum. So he's like a super smart dude. So he went on to form Polkadot, which is supposed to do everything that Ethereum was supposed to do, but Ethereum was moving in a different direction. So he created his own blockchain. So they have the ability for people to attach their projects onto the main chain, just like the International Space Station allows you to attach countries to attach pods to the International Space Station. Uh, so it gets security from the Polkadot chain. And then it, it's the concept what Ethereum is doing with its layer twos, but Polkadot did it first. So um, Kilt is a project built on Polkadot. So it's really nice to see that they're getting such huge adoption from Deloitte, which is like a huge accounting firm. Um, so what they're going to be doing with that is they're going to be issuing digital credentials to their customers. The integration aims to improve the efficiency of Deloitte's KYC process, which is know your customer. And there's also KYB, which is know your business. And those verification processes are cumbersome, tedious, and they take forever. And it's not cost effective at all. So they're going to be using blockchain for digital identity uh, to verify their customers and their businesses that they work with. So that that's that's an incredible piece of news to wrap things up with because um, adoption is not just on the front of using uh, cryptocurrencies uh, on the blockchain. Like money is not just the only utility that blockchains provide. There's a lot of other utilities and digital identity is one of those. So if digital identities are not on the blockchain, I'm really worried because if they're on a centralized place, they're easily hackable. Personal example, the Aadhaar card, which is supposed to be the national ID in India, their database has been hacked, I believe, six times already. And I would not be surprised if you can just go out and find the Aadhaar information on people on the dark web for like 20 bucks or something. So it's it's painful to to do the same mistakes over and over. So I try to like look at this as like, if you don't put digital identities and same goes with voting, like we need to finally get voting done on blockchains. Like we need to figure out how to get it done because then it's like verifiable. Nobody can claim someone like rigged the elections or like whatever, like it's a global problem and it's an actual problem in most countries. Like elections do get rigged. Um, so that's another use case that I'm excited about. So it's not just money that we need to focus about. Um, money utility is kind of a good thing. It's great. It's awesome. It's the flag bearer utility of crypto, but digital identity, it's a, it's a huge, huge piece as well.